Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak. He taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby and Kindy and Brittany. So Tamara is traveling and out of town, and uh, it's, it is an uh, incredible blessing that we have somebody like Brittany Jenkins to come and, and bring everything together. So thank you to all of them. I, uh, man, that song, The Blessing, just wraps around my throat every time. I was, I was talking about this morning with my friend Lee Nichols. Um, it is my tradition and has been now for a decade and a half to go spend the first part of my Sunday with Lee Nichols back there. And today we talked about how grateful we are and how we perhaps underappreciate the generations of family that bring us to the places that we are. It's, it's an incredible thing. And not everybody enjoys that, right? So all at the same time, incredibly grateful for, for what it is that, that helps me to get to this moment while at the same time recognizing that not everybody enjoys that same, I will call it an advantage, not just a blessing, but, but an advantage. And when you don't enjoy that advantage, when you don't enjoy that blessing, I think you are more vulnerable than other folks would be when life inevitably happens. So, uh, it feels fair for me to say to you that there is likely going to be a lot in this sermon that will upset you. Amen? Amen. <laughs> That's a weird place for an amen. I thought was... there, there is a lot in this sermon as, that, is, that it might, might upset you. So, let me give you some more uh, preamble, let's say. It, the thing is, Christianity is uh, completely misunderstood and mischaracterized when it is understood simply as a means of behavior modification for an individual who screws up all the time. I mean, it's, it is, if that's what it is, if it, is, if it has been for you the means whereby you can finally stop doing the bad things so that you can be just acceptable enough to have uh, a, a better eternity, if that is all it has been for you, then the good news is that your best days in faith are ahead of you, because that's the worst part of it. It's bigger than that. How big, John? It's as big as all of life and all of creation. When we say Jesus the way, you, you should hear, and I intend for you to hear, that Jesus and, and those of us who would extend Jesus, the church, the body of Christ, we are meant to be people about the way, a way distinguishable from other ways. Right? It's 
not just behavior modification. It is world change. And to use the language that we started using last week, it is world change that probably, probably here at the outset takes the form of rebellion. Rebellion. You need to know that if if Lisa is doing all the things that I want her to do, and if Avarilla is doing all the things I want her to do, and if, if all of us are doing all the things that we're supposed to do, as Jason is doing his thing with adults on Wednesday nights, what we're hoping for is that people will be impacted by our services such that they will go out there and they will be a threat to society. Oh, I like that. (laughs) A a threat. We are trying to produce revolutionaries around here. Folks who can, folks who can imagine what a world might look like not lived according to the terms of the empire of the day but according to the terms of the empire that is eternal. That's what we mean when we say Jesus the way. I I just felt like I needed to give you ears to hear all that was coming next. I did a thing this week. Uh, I have popped off a couple times here recently about the, the, the problem that we have here in Oklahoma City as it has to do with the unhoused. And so uh, you pop off often enough, somebody's going to say, well, won't you come help us do something about it? And I said, okay. And what that meant was that I was going to be a part of what they call a point in time count, right? And I, this is me, this is me right, oh, shoot, that's me right there. I don't know how my head and face is that small compared to <laughs> such a weird thing. But that's, that's me. And that was about 3.30 in the morning, and there were about 120 of us or so that were going to be divided up into teams, and we were going to go throughout the whole city and, and count, uh, and, and not just count the people who are, are homeless and on our streets, but hopefully offer um, services as a part of a survey. We're asking all kinds of questions, like, why? What would help you? What have you tried that hasn't helped you? And man, it's, it was quite the thing. If you've never heard of a point-in-time count, then um, this is what you're going to hear now is Megan Mueller, who is one of the associate directors over at the Homeless Alliance, and, and she describes it really well. Today is our annual point-in-time count, so um, we had volunteers going out to camps all across the city um, as early as 3.30 this morning. Um, and they're conducting surveys with people who are experiencing homelessness. So the point in time count is basically a single day census of our population. Um, And then that effort is continued throughout the day. So the point in time count is actually um, a national effort. Communities all across the country do point in time counts. Um, Here locally, we really use that data as kind of a snapshot um, of what's going on with our population. Functionally, we're going into the places where people live and we're doing so at three and four in the morning, which if you think about, you know, if someone came to my house and woke me up at four in the morning and asked me to do a survey, I'm not sure I would respond as graciously as many of our participants do, truly. Um, But most of the time, folks are excited to participate. Um, and they, they understand that the data is helping us, um, you know, like I said, get funding and develop interventions. Um, so normally we're met just with people who are really willing to participate. It's just a really great way to experience a different side of our city. You know, most of us don't see our city at three or four in the morning anyway, um, much less 
some of the parts of our city where we're sending volunteers and so it really is a special event um, and it's a great way to experience Oklahoma City and a different part of our community. Now homelessness is one of those topics of conversations about which someone might have very strong opinions and no real interaction. Have you ever noticed the human capacity to have very strong opinions about a topic, but not actually know anybody who's involved in the circumstance? I don't know if there's anything less helpful than an opinion held at a distance. And, and if that's you, and if you're already offended, I'm really sorry. I hope you'll stay. I hope you'll stay. But I would say to you, get involved. I, I had some preconceived ideas. I mean, up until, you know, earlier this week, I had some preconceived ideas. For example, uh, not all people are homeless for the same reasons. Right? In the process of having these discussions with some of these folks, I, I came upon a guy, and by the way, they, I asked for and I received an assignment, at me and six other folks, which right here in our neck of the woods. I wanted to get to know the people who are right here around us, because I, I, I see what you see. And so we went to the person who is most regularly over there at the 7-Eleven by Independence. It's Russell. His name is Russell. It's a veteran. Did you know that that Oklahoma City eviction courts have set records for the number of, of cases for the last six months in a row? No. Did you know that Oklahoma City has one of the nation's highest, uh, let's see, highest uh, rates of increase where rent is concerned amongst the, the tops in the nation? And it affects everybody, even Russ, the veteran, said, what, what happened to you, Russell? I was able to be the guy who... Uh, was able to sit and talk with Russell, and he said, well, I'm, I'm a veteran, I suffer from PTSD, and my rent went up, and it went up so far that I had to choose between uh, my home and my, my medicine. I said, well, are there not resources to help you, like the VA? He says, yeah, but it, that's, that's a hard system to navigate, and it is. Um, so I had to choose, and so I chose my home, but he recognizes now that when he didn't choose his medicine, he actually was going to lose his home, too. And so there he was. We were able to, in that moment, like almost immediately connect him or reconnect him with the VA. So there's Russ. Then I met a, a young woman who had been assaulted. And she determined that it was safer for her to sleep outside than sleep where she'd been sleeping. Uh, then we met a woman who was raised by her father, I was the only real caregiver in her, in her life, and he passed away unex very unexpectedly, and she said, I quit caring, and I quit caring about caring, and before too long, here, yeah, here I was. She says, I'm not sure why I got here, or what all the steps were in getting me here, but it started with the loss of, of my dad. You've heard it, and maybe you don't believe it, because it's kind of a cliche. We're only, any of us, two or three bad decisions or, or situations away from being there. Now, some of you are saying, no, no, no. I got five or six bad <laughs> decisions in me before it would happen to me. 
But I would submit, if something broke your heart, and perhaps broke your heart so badly that ultimately it broke your mind, and then broke your body, yeah, maybe it's just two or three things. I think it would be for me. But what I can tell you is the, the world looks different here around the church at 4 o'clock in the morning than it does at noon, than it does at 5 p.m. It's like it's a different kingdom altogether. <laughs> it seems that there are different rules. Everything's different. Everything's different. The system doesn't work for everybody. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer, except that I would submit that housing would be great for the unhoused. Amen? Yeah. But it's not a one-size-fits-all because not all the stories are the same. But I do think we can say this about the folks that I met that night over the course of three and a half hours. And by the way, there was another shift that took over at eight, and another one took over at noon, and another one took over at four. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, just about a 24-hour operation. We all aren't living in the same kingdom. And not living in that particular kingdom, when you don't live in the right kingdom, there are, there are prices to pay. And some of what I saw this, this, this past week on Thursday morning, some of what I saw were some of those prices that get, that get paid. Not all living in the same kingdom. We're not all living in the same narrative. If you remember, we, we talked about it, uh, talking about this last week. I said, okay, you've got your book about me and you've got your Bible. This is the grand biblical narrative. And, and I tried to say this to us. Sometimes what we try to do is force fit the biblical narrative into our stories. Like, okay, God, I want you to be a chapter in my life. Whereas God wants to say, no, 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 no. Let's take your story and fit it into my larger story so that you, John, can be a chapter in the larger thing that I'm doing. And I, and I said to you, man, it really matters. What, books is on, what book is on the outside. And, and there are lots of the different books to choose from. There are lots of different stories that would love to be your grand story. And one of those stories is the story of prosperity, right? Prosperity. If that is the book on the outside, whatever book that's on the outside makes all the rules, defines all the important words, tells you what it means to be successful, tells you what it means to fail. Whatever book's on the outside is the one that's actually operating your life. But I want to change the, the metaphor a little bit today. Are you ready for this? Some of you are in great anticipation for what the new narrative, the new uh, metaphor is going to be. You've seen it before. Ready? Wa-bam! There it is. If you are new to OKC First, man, I can get a lot of mileage out of one iceberg. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> So I want to think about it a little different way, with the help Friendly Neighborhood Iceberg. I want to say that uh, icebergs, as you all know, there's more beneath the surface than what you see there above the surface. An iceberg in today's uh, sermon, an iceberg is going to represent the competitor kingdom, a competitor uh, meta-narrative, a competitor way of seeing life. We'll say, though, it's a, it's a kingdom. Now, whatever kingdom is down there, the biggest piece of the iceberg, that kingdom is going to come with certain values and presuppositions, right? Rome was its own kingdom. Everybody see that? 
And what came with this Roman Empire were certain values and presuppositions and definitions to words. Like, here's one. When Rome used the word peace, it did not mean the same thing as what Jesus meant when Jesus used the word shalom. Everybody see that? So, different kingdoms have different values and presuppositions, and out of those values and presuppositions come motivations, desires. And then you have the activities that are the result of being in a particular kingdom with particular motivations gives rise to a certain sort of activity. Jesus, if you'll remember last week, recognized that his kingdom was going to come into conflict with the Roman Empire. He'd already seen it. John the Baptist had been arrested, and Jesus sort of disappeared. In fact, the word used is probably the word escaped. So he escaped to Capernaum, knowing that there was going to be this collision between kingdoms. And by the way, there are still collisions between kingdoms out there, right? Still collisions. And so Jesus went to kind of get away from it all and sort of gather himself and get to where he could gather people around him, people that he could instruct in the nuances of this particular kingdom. But Jesus himself was pretty quick to say, hey, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven. Now, please do not confuse kingdom of heaven with heaven after you die. What Jesus is saying is there is now a present reality, a different kingdom, an alternative kingdom, one that is going to come into conflict with all the other kingdoms, and at some point, this is what this word repent means, and at some point you're going to need to choose, and Jesus is saying choose the right kingdom. Still today, Jesus is saying to each one of us, choose the right kingdom. There are consequences when you choose the wrong kingdom. Jesus is saying repent, which again, does not just mean feel really bad about what you did earlier today because this is about more than just behavior modification. See that? Jesus is saying, no, repent. Move. Switch. Relocate from one iceberg, let's say, to another. Verse 23 in chapter 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. These were people who bore the marks of coming against the kingdom, this other kingdom, the Roman Empire. These are people who bore the marks of trying to run that rat race, but losing all the time. And so they came to Jesus for help, verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan, this Jesus is a threat, y'all. This Jesus was a threat, and when we do it right, this Jesus continues to be a threat, unless we won't allow it. And so, Jesus sees all of these crowds coming to him. And decides, so this is the perfect time for a, a teachable moment. It says here, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. Then it says his disciples came to him. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that his disciples, like the four or the eight or the 12, separated from the rest of the crowd? Or does this mean that, that somehow here the, the, uh, the writer in Matthew is deputizing all the crowds that were coming as disciples? That's what I want to believe. 
So Jesus says, okay, I am gathering people for this revolution. I am gathering people for the kingdom. It extends all the way to Oklahoma City in 2023. So let me give you some opening remarks. I'll give you what I've already used this word. How about the uh, preamble so that you know what kind of, of kingdom is about to be launched or that is launched in Christ? I'm going to read all of these verses to you, and then I'm going to go back through the first three. So here it is. You ready for the preamble to the new kind of kingdom? Ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, as you hear these, I'm going to read the rest of them, but these aren't directives. This is not Jesus wagging his finger at everybody, including you today, saying, you all need to be poor in spirit. That's not it. There are other pieces of scripture for that. Those are called commandments. And there are all other kinds of ways that Jesus might at some point or God would somehow through Jesus or a prophet or a teacher say, here are some things you should do and not do. This is not that. These are observations. In fact, the word blessed, I think, is a hang-up for us sometimes. Here's another way perhaps we should hear this. Ready? In this new kingdom, God is on the side of. So if you don't mind, I'm going to reread some of this. In the new kingdom, God is on the side of the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God is on the side of those who mourn. They will be comforted. God is on the side of the meek, and we'll unpack that word later, for they will inherit the land, the earth. God is on the side of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God is on the side of the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Before I read more, does everybody recognize that while this may be reminiscent of the kingdom launched in Christ, it is not necessarily reminiscent of the kingdom out there, the other empire. Amen? Right? It, it seems like in the other empire, blessed are those who aren't poor. Blessed are those who aren't mourning. Blessed are the aggressive and the ambitious, for they will inherit their company and the profit margin thereof. It seems like sometimes, rather than hungering and thirsting for righteousness, rather than seeking peace, it seems like the people who get the notoriety and the fame and therefore the dollars are the ones who sow division. Amen? Anybody? No? Okay. <laughs> seems like those who are unmerciful are the ones who are actually blessed. I mean, have you seen a movie recently? I mean, don't we like a good vengeance story? Don't we like a good retribution story? Don't we like it when the person who's been wronged gets to wrong the other person even more? Can you see that there's another kingdom lurking? And it's against the backdrop of that other kingdom that Jesus is saying, no, I want you to have eyes to see what it is that God is doing. God is on the side of the pure in heart. Those are the folks who actually see God. God is on the side of the peacemakers. They're the ones who will be called children of God. And God is on the side of those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And see if this sounds like blessing. Ready? God is on the side 
on your side when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you and falsely on Christ's account. What kind of strange kingdom is it if those are the people who are blessed, honored, if God is on the side of those people? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just three. Just three. This first one says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You cannot lose the fact that Jesus is speaking to a kingdom that is in conflict with other kingdoms. Most specifically, in this case, Jesus is speaking on behalf of people who are broken by the empire. Poor in spirit. Now, in Luke, Luke just says poor. I think that is also here. Can I tell you what I saw in the wee hours of the morning on Thursday morning? I think I saw poor and poor in spirit all in the same situation. Have you ever seen somebody who was completely spent? John, some of those people have suffered self-inflicted wounds. Well, aren't you holy? And perhaps one who has never self-inflicted a wound before? And is it possible that, that you and I enjoy the kind of family stability that would allow me to self-inflict a wound and still not end up homeless. Russ was poor in spirit. And what Jesus is saying is, ready for this? God is on Russ's side. You want to hear the, the scary part? And God is against whatever put Russ here. What about the young lady? Here, here. The one who's been assaulted and perhaps assaulted so often that we should probably use a different word other than assault. God is saying, I am on her side. And I am. And the hope is, it's not just God saying, but that we, the people of God, are against the forces that are at work that cause her to be victimized time and again, time and again, time and again. Blessed. God is on the side of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, guys, buckle up. I'm, I'm really going to upset you now, okay? I'm sorry. I, if you have a complaint, please email Gerard Tashton. <laughs> Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Remember, these are the words of revolution spoken on behalf of those who have been damaged by the competitor kingdom. This is not the moment when God says, if you have hurt yourself or if you uh, have been hurt by someone else, that I feel sorry for you. It's not that God doesn't have that soft spot. We can find all of those passages of Scripture. That is out there, and we believe that about God. This, this though, is saying something else. This is saying, when another person is killed by police, 
We mourn. We lament. You don't know the whole story, John. I, let's, let's grieve loss and death. Fair enough? Let, let's grieve when systemic issues cost people their lives. This is the kind of mourning, lamenting that's being spoken of here. And while God is saying, I am on the side of that man's family, God is also saying, and I am against what allows this to happen. You all right? You need to be. Super quiet, Jason. Here's another one. Blessed are the meek. This word translated as meek is translated as gentle or gentleness. Later on, when, when Jesus, in describing himself, says, for, my, uh, for I am gentle and humble in heart. But here, remember, this is the word of a revolutionary speaking to potential revolutionaries who have been damaged by the alternative kingdom. He is speaking to people who likely lost their lands, and that's what we're talking about here. Likely lost their lands to the empire. Lost their lands to the empire, who then graciously said, now we'll rent it back to you. You just have to farm it, or you have to fish it, and and give us our cut, but we'll let you have the land that we stole from you back for just a small monthly... When those folks fought back, there was a term for that. That's called zealotry. The zealots were known to be the people who would fight back. Fists raised. We will fight back against Roman oppression. The other group that, you, you can say it like this, just kind of took it, but they weren't just taking it. They were somehow exhausting and absorbing all the ugliness of the empire, knowing that somehow returning love for hatred somehow will result in the toppling of the empire and the inheritance of the earth. The meek looks like the meek were the people who lost their lands to the empire and chose not to fight fire with fire, but chose to return grace for wound. And in so doing, demonstrated themselves to be, first of all, super odd. But also odd in the way that is reminiscent of their savior. I mean, part of what we're going to do throughout this year when we are trying as best we can to chase around this Jesus, to try to get a better idea of who it is that we're choosing, if in fact we do continue to choose this Jesus, part of what we're trying to do is, is so add to your understanding of this Jesus that you're at least, it's, it's a fair sort of choice that you're going to make, right? I, I want you to have enough enough information, enough experience with this Jesus, that if you say no, you know what you're saying no to, and if you say yes, you know all that you're saying yes to. And Jesus is looking for people who will fight like he does, which is not fighting. We're weird like that. 
So the gospel comes, the kingdom announcement comes to people who are regularly, systematically being wounded by the empire as it is, by the empire as it is structured. I am telling you that I saw some folks early Thursday morning who were being injured by the empire as it's currently constructed. Saw this quote this week by a guy who writes on a blog, and you're going to like this. I, I love this. His blog is called Left Behind and Loving It. Amen. <laughs> He's a Greek scholar and uh, really good. And so here's what he says. He says, when Jesus says, blessed are, dot, 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 in the Beatitudes, I suggest that he is not saying, do this and you'll be blessed, or in God's eyes, this is blessed, or one of these days, folks will be blessed, dot, dot, dot. I believe that Jesus is actually blessing the meek when he says, blessed are the meek. And then that the meek, upon hearing those words, are actually blessed. Or honored. So I do think it's better to read it instead of just the, the regular, I don't know if you've ever heard these described as the be gladitudes. Can't stand that. Please don't do that. Don't do that. I, I don't think necessarily that, that blessed or happy are those. I'm not sure that that's right. I think it's better to say God loves the poor in spirit or God makes room for those who mourn or God comes alongside the meek. God honors those because God recognizes that in the conflict between kingdoms, there will be casualties, especially if you take seriously how it is that we're supposed to go about the struggle. In other words, we're supposed to be a very different kind of iceberg, y'all. a competing narrative, an alternative kingdom with our particular king calling all of the shots. There was a book that made a pretty serious impact on me years and years ago called Resident Aliens. And this quote came back to me this week. I want, you, I want to read you part of it. The authors say here, we may have thought that Jesus came to make nice people even nicer. The Jesus hope to make a democratic Caesar just a bit more democratic, to make the world a bit better place for the poor. The sermon, however, collides with such accommodationist thinking. It, it drives us back to a completely new conception of what it means for people to live with one another, and that completely new conception is the church. All that we have heard said of old is thrown up for grabs, demands to be reexamined, and pushed back to square one. Square one is that colony made up of those who are special, different, alien, and distinctive only in the sense that they are, are, they are those who have heard Jesus say, follow me, and have come forth to be part of a new people, a colony formed by hearing his invitation and saying yes. Another metaphor. We are the weirdest colony ever. <laughs> the weirdest colonists ever. And we gather each week to rehearse our weirdness. And you know what's an essential piece 
of the weirdness that we practice when we get together as this odd colony each week, you've got to have good greeters. Because greeters set the stage. A, a church that gets up and says, we're going to, in this moment, put skin and flesh. Does everybody know what I'm going to say? Skin and flesh on the welcome and the hospitality of God. You've got to have a good greeter. And if you don't have good greeters who put skin and flesh on it when you walk through the doors, then it's kind of, it's kind of a failing proposition. That's why we're going to miss this guy. Ellen. Guess who showed up today to make coffee? Ellen. I said, Ellen, you can take some time off. Nope. In fact, what you said was, Ron would want me to be here. I mean, if we're going to say all that we're going to say about putting skin and flesh on the welcome and hospitality of God, then we need folks like Larry Bennett. We need folks like Ron and Ellen and all the rest of you who are the, the first faces that people see. The first faces. You all have to be those first faces. You all have to be the people who do the first work of putting skin and flesh on the welcome and hospitality of God. And nobody did it better than this guy. Now, he looks grumpy right here for some reason. I'm not sure what I've said, but... But nobody did it better than that guy. Sanctuary full of people. I would wager that each and every one of you, your last interaction with Ron McNeil was a good one. Do you know how rare that is? <laughs> For someone to have the capacity, regardless of your financial status, regardless of your status in any sense, regardless, to have somebody who would be equally fascinated with each one of us, no matter our age, no matter the disposition. Ron McNeil was the first line to put skin and flesh on the welcome and the hospitality of God. Ron McNeil was the first one now, I never use this language, but here's what we'll say today. Ron was the first one to say, well, welcome to our strange little iceberg. Welcome to our strange little colony. I'm Ron, this is Ellen, and we're the strange little colonists that you're going to get to know around here. I'll say to you what I said to the folks who gathered for that beautiful service on Friday. We are taking applications for the next generational host. Not that anyone will ever be able to replace that guy because you can't. <laughs> but somebody needs to be next. Maybe three or four or five or 10 of you need to consider this as your calling. Given all that we have said about alternative kingdoms, given all that we've said about being an odd sort of colony, finally, hopefully now, you recognize the need for our first faces to be our first faces. <laughs> I don't know, John, I don't know if I have it in me. Well, what I would encourage you to do is what Ron and Ellen continue to do each week around here and gather around the table. You will never convince me that there isn't some cumulative benefit 
to gathering around this story, this re-narration of our birth narrative, which is, it goes something like this. God's mind about you is made up, say it with me, and the news is. And that's what we remember and rehearse every time. And you know what? If you take and eat this bread often enough, you might actually become the bread. taken, blessed, broken, and given in service to the world in the tradition of Ron and Ellen McNeil. Those of you who are helping us, please come and set the table. Heavenly Father, in these moments now, bless these elements. Bread and cup. Seems so simple, but in your hands it becomes so much more. So much more. And, and God, we need it to be more than just simple bread and cup. If, if we are going to move to this place where we are colonists in this very different kind of colony, we need all the help we can get. And so God, would you with bread and cup nourish us to be something more than we could have been otherwise. Give us with bread and cup the capacity to see you where we couldn't have seen you before, to hear you where we might not have been able to hear you before, and to follow you in ways that we might not have been able to do before. In other words, God, as we gather around the table today, feed us just enough so that we can be your people. If you are visiting with us today, let me give you some idea of what's coming. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew to the left, your left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive a piece of bread from the person who's holding a plate of bread, also available there in the back. As you approach the person holding a piece of bread again with your hands cupped, that person will take a piece and press it into your hands and say, and this is my body broken for you, says Jesus. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you dip it into the cup, right here will be Ashley who will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat, then take and eat, and then find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we have ministers everywhere. Somebody will meet you there, and pray that prayer for healing, a healing prayer there. It could be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, whatever. Bring it with you to this altar and we will pray for you there. If you come to one of these mourners benches up front, we won't assume anything, but we will at some point help you to know that you're not alone because you're not alone. Or you can just circle right back around to your seat. But if you do that, please, please pray. Please pray. Well, what should we pray? I mean, you could pray today, God, do I live in the right colony? God, am I a passenger on the right iceberg? God, is, is the right book on the outside? Or do I need to be converted? Or maybe it's, God, are you looking at me? Do I need to take another step forward. Might pray that prayer as well. You may want to make a special trip 
There's a bowl of water here meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism, your official inclusion into the movement, into the rebellion. (laughs) And if you need to be reminded that you are, in fact, a fellow revolutionary, then this bowl of water, as you dip your fingers into it, hopefully it will jog the moment, the memory of the moment of your baptism. Well, who's eligible to come down? I don't know if I can come down there. I mean, I did some things this morning. (laughs) Hey, if you recognize your need for grace, like your pastor, if you recognize your need for grace, then you're eligible to come down here. It doesn't matter what happened this morning. Your need for grace, your recognition of your need for grace qualifies you. If you would prefer something a little less public, something a little more prepackaged or a little safer, then that's what can happen for you back there. Thank you to the Basket family for taking care of that. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you, and every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. These are the moments when we nourish and feed the resistance. (laughs) So now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pews to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God. All are invited, none are compelled.
going to pray a few words of confession before turning it over to Jason for prayers of petition. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess that to this moment we find ourselves to be intimidatable. We find ourselves, God, on a regular basis choosing between the different kingdoms and sometimes, God, we find it very difficult to live in your kingdom while constantly confronted with all the rest. We confess, God, that we don't always choose wisely, properly. In these moments of confession, I'm going to get out of the way. Perhaps you and I both could pray a prayer that goes something like this, what kingdoms are most likely to take the place of first place allegiance. this as I turn it over to Jason. May the Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal life. Now would you keep that posture of prayer as we move towards prayers of intercession. Would you join me in praying for those folks who we'll pray for this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the day you've given us and thank you for the message that you are with those and for those who need you the most. And so God, we ask that you would come alongside of the heart and spirit and life of Ellen McNeil and the loss of Ron. God, we're grateful for this family who's gathered together today in this pew. And ask God that today and the days to come, that your never ending love and presence would rest upon them and all who've been impacted by this loss. And so, God, we ask that you would be with each of us and all of us. And, God, others this week who've experienced loss and need your love. God, we ask you to be with Matt Simmons and the loss of his mother this week as they had the memorial service just yesterday down in Houston. Be with Matt and Allie and their family and their extended family. A few weeks ago, God, we ask that you would be with Matt Burgett and the loss of his father. God, would you surround this family in your love, may they know that you're near. God, we ask you to be with Arby's sister, Loretta, who's been placed in hospice care in Arkansas. She'd be with them, their family, and surround them in love. And as the family is praying, bring her home to Jesus. And God, we ask that you would be with Hazel, Brian's friend, who's also on hospice care in Arkansas as well. God, we ask you'd be this week with Irma Patterson. Many of you would know Irma as the woman who had come in a wheelchair, sitting right back here, mother of Bill Patterson and Mary Johnson, who this week has been placed on hospice care as well. God, would you be with this family and surround them in your love. From hospice care to new life, God, we ask that you would surround James Duckwall, 
the new little born baby of Grant and Hannah, born about five weeks early this week. And God, we are grateful for some good news, but God, we just ask that you would be with this, this new baby who's had to spend some time in the NICU and Hannah and her life, that you, God, would surround them in love. God, we ask that you would take care of our good friend, Rick Stahl, who had such a terrible fall this week that had put him hospitalized and some broken bones in his neck. Thank you that he is walking and that he is doing as good as can be expected. But God, we ask that you would heal Rick and be with Linnell as they care for one another. God, we also ask that you would care for a few more, for good news and continued good news for Linda Mounts, for your continued healing and presence in the life of Linda Weaver, and that, God, you'd be with Zach Allen's mother, Diane, who's been recently been diagnosed with cancer. There's many more we could pray for. It seems like a week that there have been many who have felt in these times like they are people who have experienced mourning, loss, or a great sense that they need God's help. And so whatever you carry into this room or wherever you are watching online, whatever you can hold that you cannot hold on your own, where you need God's help, would you bring that to God now in this time of prayer? And now would you bring one person in your life that you know needs the help of God? It can be someone who's in your household or someone who you saw on the street this week. So one person that God is putting in your mind's eye right now. And would you pray for them? person I'm praying for is my friend Matthew, who used to sit right over here, right in front of Ron and Ellen, who is, last we talked to, who is, is experiencing homelessness. God, this is my least favorite prayer you ask us to pray, but before we say the Lord's Prayer, God, would you give us the grace and courage to maybe make an offer of prayer for those who are our enemies, our opposites, or our irritants? or to someday want to say that prayer. And now, God, will you transform us into your strange, resident, alien, peculiar people by this prayer. And you can see it on the screen in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.